Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. Before the game, Joey Votto went on High Heat, MLB Network's High Heat, and was discussing how he has energy and, and how you know he's rejuvenated in his older age. Now, Rowdy, you haven't heard this, but there's a comment he says, and I will stop it after the said comment, that I found a little questionable. Listen to this. I think I've taken a lot of uh, I think I've taken a lot of the pressure. Um, I put on myself in the past uh, off of my shoulders and I've allowed myself to just just go play, have fun, make mistakes, but make mis- make aggressive mistakes. And, and that's been really enjoyable for me. And um, now we're, we've got a really good club, a really good club. I think of us as uh, the, the type of club that can win a win a ring this year. What? What do you say? Type of club who can win a should ring? I? Should I? We've got a really good club, a really good club. I think of us as uh, the the type of club that can win a win a ring this year. Has he seen the bullpen? Uh yes, but I think he also knows that they did acquire multiple arms. They did get a couple arms back that are their better bullpen arms. But I will say this: Are you agreeing with him? I'm. I'm going to defend him to a point. Oh the, come on! You didn't even let me finish here. Sorry. <laughs> they did. Improve the bullpen, no matter if you want to talk about how bad their bullpen is or not. I mean, we've talked about it earlier this week about how I have to see these pitching stat or these pitchers go deeper into games because of how bad their bullpen is. But they have improved it because they they were they were dead last in the league by a, a wide margin. They have now since come down. Now, on the other hand, I think I would have to agree with them. This is one of the better teams he's ever been on with the Cincinnati Reds. It's the best team he has been on, I would argue, since 2000 and... I forget the year. Well, that's what I'm saying. For 11, him, for him 10, to say 10 this, years ago. For him to say this, all he knows is being on the Cincinnati Reds when the majority of those seasons, the Cincinnati Reds weren't very good. Getting so, no yes, hit by Doc Holliday in the playoffs. These Cincinnati Reds are a good ball club. I mean, right now, they're if the season ended today, they're in the postseason in the wild card game. That is correct. But when you get to the playoffs, what decides games often the best teams are the teams with the best top end starters and the best bullpen. And yes, they help. They they tried to fix it, but to me, that's putting band aids on a bullet wound. Well, you yes, know, it's, it's it's not going to stop the bleeding. They're a good ball club. They're not a team that I see winning a ring. Yeah, to quote Joey Votto. RJ, yeah, I mean, even though they're. The Brewers are ten to nine against him this year. Yeah, they are a good team, but even with your additions to the bullpen, when you can have the Brewers go for six runs over two innings against said bullpen, even with some of your better guys, that's not a also, team that can win. And that's go, not even a lineup like the Dodgers, who they might see in the wild card game. Right. Yeah, but I think a bigger thing is that you guys haven't mentioned is the fact that you shorten up your rotation when it comes to playoff time. And if the Reds are going to continually see Burns, Woodruff, Peralta with some Adrian Hauser mixed in there and then the Brewers bullpen, you look at the Reds 
starting rotation. And when you even when you shorten it up, it's like, okay, well, Luis Castillo has been up and down. Mm-hmm. Sonny Gray hasn't been the greatest this it's like, year. Eh, Wade Miley? You're going to trust Wade Miley to win a playoff game? I'd trust him to go out there for one batter. Or to throw, <laughs> or to throw in game two quite well, and then pull him a little early. Yeah. So that was that that Votto thing was alarming. I don't think now they will have they have a chance, obviously, because they're in line. To, they're competing for the playoffs. They're in line to make it. But once they get on to the Brewers and the Dodgers and the Giants and actual teams that are top to bottom, well rounded, I see their flaws really becoming evident. I don't think there's any chance they win a ring this year. No, I don't think they have a shot, especially a real shot at winning a World Series either. I obviously with where they're at right now and how San Diego is is playing poorly, if they can stay hot, we do know that the Reds have an easier schedule down the stretch. It's easier than the San Diego Padres. I wouldn't be surprised if they squeaked in as a wild card, but to say that they're a legit contender to win a World Series this year, one, people haven't seen that somehow this San Francisco Giant team continues to win games. (laughs) You obviously have the Dodgers and the Brewers that have much better rotations, and I think even at this point, the The Braves Braves are pretty similar to the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, yeah, I that that I do agree with. So, Rowdy, Chase Anderson, go. Oh, Brett Anderson? Brett Anderson. I, Ch- I, I, I'm sorry. Chase I'm Anderson, so mad at Chase for, Anderson. Former Brewer. Former Brewer. Who the Philly, Phillies paid $5 Chase million Anderson. for this offseason instead of Taiwan Walker, who's an absolute stu- uh, really good on the Mets. We DFA'd him yesterday. Oh. Sorry, he's on my mind. Bring I, him home. I have so much anger today, it's insane. <laughs> Brett Anderson, go. <laughs> Well, the reason we actually wouldn't bring Chase Anderson home is because when he was Whoa, a starting pitcher, when he was a starting pitcher with the Milwaukee Brewers, Craig Council normally pulled him after four, maybe five oh, innings. And his All number is currently time. taken. All the time. And his number is currently but taken. But I will say this. In 2017, when the Brewers were supposed to be one of the worst teams in their history, Chase Anderson had a career year and was a stud for them. Probably why the Phillies took a chance on him. All right, Brett Anderson, go. Hey, we, we need to stop. But Brett Anderson, obviously, he started last night for the Milwaukee, or yesterday afternoon for the Milwaukee Brewers. He went four innings, gave up three earned runs, and he also left once again with a lower body injury. The reason why I'm not specifically saying what it was is because Brett Anderson didn't necessarily say what it was. He had a comment where he listed about every single muscle that is located from your big toe to your groin. He he doesn't have a leg is is what you're trying to say. He he no, his leg is no longer intact. Uh, to me I liked when they signed Brett Anderson and I know in 2020 he pitched well f- for him, but it was only a two-month season and one of big one of the big knocks against Brett Anderson is the fact that he's been a pretty solid pitcher, especially for a left-hander that's crafty in his career. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's been a guy that will get the hangnail. He's been a guy that'll have the consistent blisters. All of a sudden now, in a 162-game season in his second year with the Milwaukee Brewers, we're seeing that Brett Anderson has pretty much come up with any little injury or any little nagging strain known to man. You said two days ago, quote, I am confident in this series and I am fine about game three, but the Brewers will lose if Brett Anderson gets a hangnail. 
And now that was a little tongue in cheek because we've just it's it seems like every other start in the last two, three months, he leaves with an injury Here's, and, and it's never anything serious. He's like, oh, well, uh, you know, I was a little dehydrated. Oh, well, my hamstring kind of felt a little, a little, a little bit dehydrated. or. Um, oh, but my, listen to my the groin. I, I was working out with my, my wife and it's a little sore. Rowdy, if you thought that all was good, listen to what he said after the game. Fine. I uh, just kind of tweaked my like I don't even hamstring, hip, kind of groin area, kind of weird play. Um, just being a non-athlete, it's kind of frustrating, slash embarrassing. But um, yeah, it is what it is. He said just hamstring, hip, groin area. By because he. I'm just being a non-athlete. Well, RJ and I have had these discussions about Brett Anderson multiple times, where it doesn't look like he wants to be there. He looks like a guy that is just. Half the time it looks like he's checked out or he's like, get me out of this game. Remember when the Brewers were really struggling up at the plate and they had a lot of guys that were taking terrible approaches, swinging for the fences. Mm -hmm. And then when they did have opportunities to bunt, there was Brett Anderson in one game where it looked like he didn't even want to be up there. It was just like, uh, it was like the most, uh, yeah. And he completely missed like three straight bunt attempts. It was horrible. Like, I've seen better efforts out of kids that didn't even know how to hold baseball bats. And then he walks back to the to the dugout with, like, his head down. And he's kind of like, well, I'm going to go out and pitch for another inning before probably my hamstring acts up. Like, I understand, like, the Brewers want to go to a six-man rotation. But at this point, it almost is turning into bullpen games when Brent Anderson's out there. Yeah. Because he's leaving with – he just said it was a hip, a hip groin, and hamstring. How is that even possible? I'm going to find that again. We need to listen one more time. Kind of tweaked my, like, I don't even, hamstring, hip, kind of groin area, kind of weird play. Um, just being a non-athlete. It's kind of. All right. So Are those I'm, three even really connected? I'm, I, I'm looking at my leg right now <laughs> and my, my, my hamstring is, is over here. My hip is, is over here and my groin is, I, they're so far apart. I, I mean, I've only Maybe taken one wrecked everything then. anatomy class in my life, but I I don't think any of those muscles are really connected. <laughs> yes, they're on the leg, but they're not really uh, they have connected. Con- they have a connecting point. It's not the hip. It's internal. But <laughs> So, Rowdy, I will ask you this because obviously when something like this happens, you must react whether it is a fair reaction or an overreaction. I'm going to propose something. What if they go to a five-man rotation? What if the rotation, when Freddie Peralta comes back from the IL, is Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, obviously, Hauser, and Eric Lauer? Well, I think the way they need to play this here, and this may be a little tongue-in-cheek as well, but you obviously, once Freddie Peralta comes back, because it looks like he is on pace to come back next week sometime, you'll have your big three. Obviously, Eric Lauser... Eric Lauer pitches tonight. He's been throwing the ball well. You just got Adrian Hauser back. Obviously, he'll be getting stretched out the next couple starts. Why not every other start? You have Brett Anderson. We know he's going to tweak something. After he tweaks something, you put him on the IL for 10 days. You bring back uh, Ashby. He makes two starts. Then Anderson comes back for a start, pitches well. And then his next start, we're obviously got to put him back on the IL again. <laughs> Bring back Ashby. So you're because saying he's like an every other start guy. Craig Council should play a little chess moving forward. Maybe it's not just a straight up six man rotation. It's a five and three quarters. No, I think it's got to be about 
it's it's, it's six plus rotation because Ashby's <laughs> got to be the sixth guy. Yeah, but Brett Anderson, Anderson is, is only the plus. But Brett, oh, I was gonna say Brett Anderson yeah. only could be three quarters of. <laughs> like, I think what Brett Anderson needs to do here is he needs to somehow figure out a way for Major League Baseball to cut their season down to like eighty-one <laughs> games. Cut it in half because he'd be great. He'd he'd fit perfectly. Or you go play if they basketball. Played half the games. But I think there's a lot of positions where the Packers have maybe a handful of guys all competing for one spot, and they're decently close races. Like when you look around the roster right now, we know that Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers are both locks. You look at Kurt Benkert. If they decide to go with three quarterbacks, it makes sense to keep him if he continues to play well. Or they could trade him. It yeah. just really depends on what the Packers want to do. To me, it's either they keep him or they trade him because he is good enough to go back up somewhere, uh, especially for a team like, like uh, the Falcons that will need a backup quarterback. Because they, they just signed Josh Rosen after McCarron goes down. And Benkert's better than Josh Rosen at this point. And he has experience in that offense. Right. As and, much as we don't want to admit it. But but yeah, it, it's either you trade or he is kept. I, I don't think they'll be able to just stash him on the practice squad. And then you look at running backs. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, they're clearly on the team. And then there's been a kind of a, a three-horse race here for that third string. And I think there's a clear-cut winner in my eyes so far through two games. And I think Kylan Hill definitely has the inside track. It's his to lose. Agree. I think they definitely keep four backs, especially the way that uh, Matt LaFleur loves to run the football. And we know that running backs do get injured. I think Patrick Taylor's probably the guy that makes the practice squad. I think they're clearly three and four over Dexter Williams. Patrick Taylor has looked a lot better than Dexter Williams. And Dexter Williams has kind of been a guy that hasn't necessarily picked up the offense well. Had some... He didn't come into the league in a good year for a guy like Dexter Williams. He yep. would have been a guy that could have used the the preseason last year when he was a rookie. He didn't necessarily look good when he did get a few snaps here and there in 2020. I think he's probably done. You look at tight end, it looks like the Green Bay Packers are pretty set at tight end as well. You have Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Josiah DeGuara, and Jace Sternberger are your four. I know they do like Dominic Daphne if they want to keep a, a fifth. Maybe maybe Daphne over Sternberger. I've heard some chatter there. I was going to say Sternberger is going to start the year suspended. And I believe how that works is him being suspended does not mean he'll count against the 53. Correct. And then they have until he is unsuspended to make that decision. I think at that point, once he becomes unsuspended, there's a great chance he's cut. Yeah, especially with Jay, Jay Sternberger, there were a lot of high hopes for him when he was selected in the third round out of Texas A&M as a receiving tight end, but he's shown over the years that he hasn't been consistent catching the football. He's shown that he does struggle at blocking where you have guys like Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tunyon who get out there Big Bob. And, and they're not afraid to throw a block. Josiah DeGuara in the, was it two games that he played? He looked like he wasn't a, a guy that was afraid to stick his nose in there. Also, they can use him as an H-back or, or possibly a fullback. And I know they really like Dominic Daphne. I know Daphne is one of the guys that Aaron Rodgers has talked about, which <laughs> we do know if, if past history is anything, doesn't necessarily mean anything when uh, Rodgers speaks about you in good light. <laughs> but I think the tight ends are pretty set. But then you look at receiver, and we've talked about how Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, 
MVS, they were Amari Rogers. Those four were complete locks. Most people think Ra- Randall Cobb is a lock, unless <laughs> normal unless, people think, unless Goody wants uh, to spit in Aaron Rodgers' face. I we talked about that yesterday. Yeah. I I could not understand how you didn't see there being no possible chance Randall Cobb gets caught. Well, there's no way. If he wanted to spit in Rogers' face, I said it probably wasn't going to happen, but I wouldn't be a hundred percent surprised if he did. I would think, honestly, I thought it, I think it would be kind of funny. It, oh, I, it would be hilarious. I think we would know right then and there that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't be the quarterback in 2022. It would be the stupidest thing Goody could ever do. But then we we look at some of the other wide receivers. So if you say those five guys are locked including Randall Cobb. That means there's two spots, especially with Devin Funches going on IR being done for the season. There are potentially two spots. If they decide to keep seven receivers, you have Malik Taylor, you have Reggie Biggleton, you have uh, St. Brown and Jawan Winfrey. I, I think when you look at that, if they keep seven players, Malik Taylor, I think, is already going to be kept. I think he's shown enough. I agree that uh, he's got to be a guy that kept. He's my sixth guy. I think that seventh spot comes down to St. Brown and Biggleton. Now, I, I agree. Biggleton has shown a little bit on special teams. He has been around for a second on the practice squad. Obviously, St. Brown being a draft pick, it's his last year under contract. We haven't really seen him at all this preseason. Right. Yeah. He's been MIA. I agree, and tonight will go, I think, a long ways towards deciding who's kept out of those two. I think it. I think it's really just those two. Yeah, I think it's Biggleton or it's uh, St. Brown. I agree. I think Malik Taylor is on the team, especially after what we've seen, and I expect a lot of snaps from Biggleton this weekend. For sure, and I, I think it is nice that the Packers are starting to see that a lot of this roster is rounding out or that there's really only probably half a dozen guys that are trying to make this team. So what you're saying is there is not a high likelihood that Goody will have to go to Rogers and ask him if he can cut a guy because it'll be pretty clear. I I'm thinking that'll be the case. And even when you look at offensive line, obviously Myers is safe. Bakhtiari is safe. Billy Turner is safe. And then you look at the interior Line Elkin Jenkins is safe. He's obviously going to be starting at left tackle while Bakhtiari is out. The guys that you're you're questioning, it's not necessarily Ben Braden and Royce Newman. You're questioning whether they're going to jump in and start at all. Correct. Because they, for in some people's eyes, has been outperforming a John Runyon who looked decent in his first year as a rookie when he got limited snaps, or a veteran Lucas Patrick who's been serviceable the last handful of years for the Green Bay Packers. I, I think if you look at this roster, I I think I know Rob Reichel, we had him on yesterday. He said he wouldn't be surprised if Lucas Patrick gets cut. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they find a trade partner if they don't necessarily want him because he is a serviceable player. I think personally, I think you might want to keep him just for depth reasons, knowing that Bakhtiari is out for that month. I think, I think uh, all of those offensive linemen we just named there, I think they're ended up going to be safe. The one name out of that group that you should be watching on Saturday, big time, former Badger Cole Van Lannen because he was a six-round pick, and he's kind of on the bubble right now of is he good enough to be a depth piece. Now, they've been playing him a lot at tackle. I think the one thing he's got going for him is that I think the Packers see him as a swing tackle. Well, that's what I was going to say. I saw coming out of college, I, I covered him throughout his career, I saw him translating more to a guard in the NFL just because of his skills 
And how, like in college, he he was a good tackle, but when he moved to the NFL, his profile fit more as a guard. I think he makes the roster just because of that versatility and the fact that he's still young. And when you have a guy that comes from Wisconsin and is young, he is, I would argue, easier to craft into a productive player than maybe somebody else. See, I could I could get behind him making being like one of the last guys kept if they think he's valuable enough as a swing tackle a guy that can play guard or potentially tackle down the line which is what they've been doing apparently he's played a lot of tackle during practice and at camp and then we saw him in the game he's he's also played guard the only thing that I'm wondering though is with the Bakhtiari injury if they don't play it safe and keep Dennis Kelly around who's a guy that specifically plays tackle and has specifically played tackle his whole career and just having a more safer option if Bakhtiari is out long term. I think that's the big question that the Packers need to answer for that probably the last spot on the offensive line. So I mean that kind of rounds out the offense. I don't think there's a ton of jobs that are out there uh, specifically for anybody to win. You look at some of the guys on the defensive side, that defensive line, I think there are some questions. I mean, you have Kenny Clark, who's obviously no doubt going to make it. You have Dean Lowry, who's been around. He was a guy that some people thought might get cut because of the big salary cap hit that he had, and they could get rid of him, I believe it was in June, and, and save a bunch of money. And obviously he has not been cut yet. I don't expect him to be cut. I think he's now made this roster. But outside of that, you have Kingsley Kiki. He's a guy that has flashed here and there, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And it's it's a guy that's had concussions. And obviously we know with concussions that if you get dinged a couple times with that, you that could end your whole season. I think that's a question mark. TJ Slayton, I think he is a definite lock on this roster. He's played really well. He's shown that he can play multiple positions on that defensive line, and he's he's even rushing the passer for a guy that's 6'4", 330. And the other guy on that list is Tyler Lancaster and Jack Heflin. And I, I think one of those two guys is probably gone. Jack Heflin is that interesting name because we talked about him with Mike Clemens a couple days ago. He, he's just a guy that's come out of nowhere. At he, he didn't get any offers. He ended up playing low-level college football, transfers to Iowa last year. And when I watched the Iowa game, uh, Wisconsin-Iowa, and previewed the game, he was not one of the names that you brought up on that defensive line. You were talking about Chauncey Golston and Davion Nixon, who are both absolute studs. So now he he comes to training camp and apparently he's turned eyes. I like I think he's a sneaky pick to make the roster. No, I think he makes the roster too. And I I kind of I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the nod, being a younger, cheaper player, and saving a little bit of cap space with uh, cutting Tyler Lancaster because we know that Tyler Lancaster is not necessarily the most talented player ever. He's he, eh. he plays hard, but he doesn't really have all the tools like a Kenny Clark, right? And I think as you get older in the NFL, you might as well just go with the younger guy that's kind of showing you the exact same skill set that Lancaster has, but he's cheaper and he's younger. Right. And it would be a hell of a story because his dad came out right away when uh, Jack Heflin got invited to the Packers training camp and said, my son's going to be the surprise. He's going to be the guy that turns heads and makes this team. I I think he's going to be right. I think he's going to uh, hit the nail on the head there. I think when you look at, uh, outside linebacker, I think it's safe to say that your top three, they're locks. The Smith brothers and Rashawn Gary, no one's touching them. Uh, we did talk with Rob Reichel 
Jonathan Garvin could be a guy that could be on the chopping block. He is a guy that did play special teams until he got hurt. Former seventh-round pick out of Miami at defensive end. Uh, there are a couple guys. I don't know. I think they probably just go with four. I think Garvin has the inside track because he can play special teams. And maybe they, they uh, have a fifth guy hang around. But looking at the inside linebacker position for this Green Bay Packers team, I think we got a, a clearer picture of what they wanted to do by cutting Kamal Martin, last year's fifth-round pick out of Minnesota, who at times in practice flashed and even early in 2020 wasn't able to stay on the field because of a knee injury that he suffered at Minnesota. He had a, another knee injury this year. Now, granted, it was slight, but it was hampering him, and he just didn't really have the speed, I don't think, to play inside linebacker. And when you have an undrafted free agent in Chris Barnes 100% outperform him last season, and then you pick up Devondre Campbell, a guy that was turning heads at practice, those two clearly seem to be ahead of him on that depth chart. And then it looks like uh, Brian Gutekunst decided to go with some special teams uh, depth instead of a potential Kamal Martin with a Ty Summers. I think Ty Summers has made this team a guy that was a late-round pick a few years ago, but he plays pretty good special teams. He's a guy that has some speed, and he's not a terrible uh, third-string inside linebacker when you need to play him in a pinch. And I, you also have to remember they did draft Isaiah McDuffie out of Boston College later in the 2021 draft. And the guy that I feel like everyone forgets about because, like Brett Anderson, he's always hurt, Oren Burks. I was about to say, I'm an Oren Burks guy. From from what I saw in the first preseason game, that was enough for me to have him make the team. Well, Brian Gutekunst was an Oren Burks guy as well, because when you look at his film, you're seeing a guy that he's like a huge safety and he a small play. linebacker. You know, he can cover a little bit. He can run. He just can't stay healthy. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons, you know... I think the locks on the roster is Barnes, Campbell, and Summers. I think McDuffie has a really good shot at making the roster, being that he was a draft pick, and he has had his hat around on a lot of the uh, tackles in the first couple preseason games. Oren Burks is the wild card. He's the wild card. Are you going to go with a guy that hasn't been proven to be healthy, or are you going to go and roll the dice on a guy that might have more skills? I would say 100% I would take Oren Burks and throw him on my roster, even for special teams. Or do you think there's any way possible that Brian Gutekunst manipulates this roster and ends up keeping five inside linebackers? The thing is, like we've gone through it, and we're talking about maybe an extra receiver, maybe an extra offensive lineman or two, possibly one more defensive lineman. There's got to be somewhere where they don't do that. And I, I think with the Kamal Martin... Uh, releasing uh, releasing Kamal Martin, I feel like, and you have looked at this Green Bay defense in the past, one position where they have kind of, I guess, uh, neglected was inside linebacker over the years. So I wouldn't be surprised to do it again. I, I'm with you. I think it comes down to Oren Burks or Isaiah McDuffie. Do you want the draft pick that you just drafted, or do you want the guy that might have a little bit more skill but is oft injured? Ben Kenny's stamp of approval is on Oren Burks. <laughs> well, then we'll, we'll go to corner here. Jair, Jair Alexander is the lock. Kevin King is the lock. Eric Stokes is a lock. Those are clearly your, your top three guys. Chandon Sullivan, he was a solid, decent guy. He did get exposed a little bit in that uh, Tampa Bay game, but so did Kevin King. And then you have Gene Charles, who is the draft pick. You have Yeaton 
who is a guy you just traded for. Who I think will make the roster because of his intensive special teams experience. He played out of 500, 600 snaps for the Giants as a gunner. I, the, the Packers need that because their special teams is so god-awful. And you still have Ento. You have a ton of guys that I, I think are actually NFL caliber. Now, granted, we're not talking a Jair Alexander and then another um, pro bowler across from him. I, get, I bet they're hoping that's what Eric Stokes can become. But I think they have a lot of quality corners. And I think it probably, at this point, between Ento, Gene Charles, and, and Yeadham, who can play better on special teams, who can perform well going into that last game. Because I think uh, between those three, Flip a coin and add Ennis Gaines to that list. That's all what we're going to see on Saturday. I I think the secondary is a one of the biggest positions to watch on Saturday, just because of how many guys are fighting and how many spots are are available for sure. And then you look at the safety when you're talking secondary, and you have Amos who's a lock, you have Savage who's a lock, Vernon Scott is probably a lock, especially because he's a special teamer. But then, like you said, you have Uphoff, you have Gaines, you have Henry Black. There is probably about six or seven guys in the secondary probably trying to fight over three or four positions, and it's going to be fun to watch because all of them are going to get a ton of time in that last preseason game. I know we had Rob Reichel on. I know he said that J.K. Scott could potentially go. I'm a J.K. Scott guy. If they found a guy outside of their camp that could come in and do a better job, so he thought J.K. Scott could go. I think they keep J.K. Scott, even though he has been very disappointing since being drafted his rookie year he came out and kicked the ball really well and since then him at Alabama was one of the most impressive punters I've seen ever play college football dude he can't kick in the cold that could be a factor like I feel like he's gotten worse since his rookie year because he was he was just booming punts his rookie year and then all of a sudden his second year it was like he couldn't kick in the cold and he's gotten progressively worse so we're gonna have to see his splits I I think J.K. Scott is still safe. I also think they probably still stick with the long snapper and Hunter Bradley, but uh, there's much more to be desired with J.K. Scott. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Our sports director, Zach Heilprin. How are we doing today, Zach? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I get to talk to Nelly and Ben. Nothing better on a Friday. The sarcasm in the second half of that sentence. I, well, to be honest with you, it's, it was the sarcasm throughout. <laughs> but, uh, it started with Nelly and ended with Friday. I No doubt about that in my mind. Well, okay, Zach, you're the guy that for WOZN, for the zone, you're our Badger guy. You're at every single practice. What are just your basic takeaways a week before the first game from Wisconsin football. Yeah, so we haven't obviously uh, practice closed. Uh, the last practice was Saturday. That was open to the media. Paul Chris last talk Tuesday. They've been kind of you know they're ended fall camp on Tuesday and now they're kind of you know changed their focus and changed their plan to get ready for Penn State a week from tomorrow. I can't believe it's already here. Uh, obviously, that's awesome because I think we're all yearning for some football. We get to see Brett Beal tomorrow, which is awesome as well. I am so excited. Um, 
Yes, I bet you are. Uh, but yeah, for Wisconsin, I think it's uh, you know I think everyone is excited about what the team can be, but I think there's also like the you know the underlying questions that remain. You know, we we think Graham Mertz is good. Well, I guess I should say most of us think Graham Mertz is good. Uh, I know Nelson's not necessarily on that bandwagon. Um, I just we'll, need to see it for more than one game. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing. Like I think we all need to see it. We think it's good. We think he's good, but you know. With the last five games of last season were not particularly uh, encouraging, but again, there were a lot of things going against him. So, do we know if he's good? Well, do we, and, and we'll find out. I think we'll find out against Penn State. There's, a, you know, can the offensive line be a dominating unit that they weren't? You know, they really haven't been the last two years. And even if you want to include 2018, that that much uh, um, talked about offensive line that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated didn't. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Taylor ran for over 2,000 yards, but the offensive line wasn't. Dominant in their respect, especially in the past game. You know, the uh, can Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor stay healthy? Is the defense as good as we think they are? And you know, is the defensive line going to be able to replace Garrett Rand and Isaiah Latimer? We think that they are. We think all these things, and we we've seen it over the last month. But can it? Does it actually? You know, uh, come to fruition against Penn State next Saturday. We don't know that, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people are excited to find out. Well, we had you on earlier this week, Zach, and one of the things that you mentioned was injuries both on the offensive line, the wide receiver position, and running back, and you mentioned how potentially Jalen Berger's knee injury could make him the number two or potentially factor into how they use him. So it's it's not an injury per se. It is a condition uh osgood slatter's disease i believe i pronounced that correctly uh, so he told uh so i had heard about the, the knee issue last year and i mentioned it to jesse temple who is my co-host on the camp and uh i mentioned to him and he actually talked to jalen on monday and, and that's was was what it was and what it is is it's a, it's a bump on your knee and it can be very painful it happens like when you have a growth spurt um and you're doing all these jump, you know, jumping and, and running, and, and so apparently it first showed up when he was a uh, senior in high school, and it was bothering him last year. Now, Paul Chris said that there was no pitch count for Jalen Berger, despite the fact that he, he never carried more than 15 times in a single game, and like it was 15 exactly, like three straight. So um, he he said that it wasn't a coincidence that it was 15, but uh, Jalen did. So I don't. It's not necessarily a disease. By I should say, it's not necessarily an injury. It's more of a, a condition that he's going to have to deal with. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's not. Um, but I. That's certainly. I think you can point to that as one of the reasons why he didn't carry more last year. And I feel like looking at the Wisconsin football team last year with Jalen Berger looking like the most talented running back in that room last year when he did get those 15 touches a game, that might make more sense when fans look back and say. Why did that guy all of a sudden get cut off after about 15 carries every single game? Yeah, no, and I don't think he's never going to be like a 25, 30 carry guy. He just doesn't have the body for it. But I think 15 or 20, and then you're getting him involved in the passing game. The thing about him is, you know, him and Chez Malusi have similar body types and similar skill sets, and especially the ability to catch the ball. So I think they they will, you know, they I don't know if they cancel each other out. They don't. They're both really talented guys, and I think they're one two at this point. But I think a guy like Isaac Garendo who is a different body type, a guy who's 220, but also runs a 4.36 or 4.37 40-yard dash and can run 20 and ran 24 miles an hour uh, this offseason, is a guy that I think uh, is going to play a heavy, heavy role if he can stay healthy, and that has always been you know a thing with him. I remember back to the Rose Bowl when we were talking with John Settle, the former running backs coach, and 
this was, uh, you know, when Jonathan Taylor was finishing up. And he said, he said Isaac Garendo, talent-wise, physically-wise, is just as talent, is just as good as Jonathan Taylor. Like, that's the type of player he thinks he could have been, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And, you know, uh, we'll see if that's the case. I think he's going to have a big role if he does And, stay and he was one of the guys that was... Uh, given the opportunity to play a little bit last year, and he, like you said, he couldn't stay healthy. So we've talked about some of the injuries on that running back front. Do you have any updates on Danny Davis or Tyler Beach? Yeah, so we I, – I don't remember the day we talked. We, we talked uh, Tuesday, I think. Um, you know, and we heard from Paul Chris later in the day that he expects Danny Davis to be good for the opener. He's dealing with a head injury. We all know the issues that he dealt with last year with the, the concussion that knocked him out of the final five games of last season. So that's always a concern, but it sounds like they're going to have him. And then Tyler Beach also, this, you know, uh, they expect to have him back. Uh, we uh, don't get to see practice, but we were able to, uh, when Paul Chris was talking, I was able to look behind him and see these guys worked out. Tyler Beach was in full uniform. Um, and the other good aspect of that was uh, Logan Brown was also back, the talented five-star tackle who, Figures to be the backup at left tackle this year. He uh, had a head injury, but he was back practicing, you know, towards the beginning of this week as well. So I think they're getting a little bit healthier. I think they're going to have Logan Bruss at right tackle, and they're probably going to have the offensive line that they want out there against Penn State. Definitely awesome news given how much they struggled to run the ball last year. Zach, season now eight days away. Are there any games on the schedule, aside from the obvious of Penn State, Notre Dame, Iowa, any sneaky tough games you see coming up? Is Army sneaky tough? Like, I feel like everyone points to them all the time just because they play such a different style of football on offense, you know, with the triple offs. I don't know if that's – I don't know if that's sneaky. I think – like, I don't think it's a guarantee. I Like, usually the, the non-conference, you can throw your helmet out there and you're going to win three games. Though, certainly Wisconsin has played a little bit tougher, um, you know, getting a Power 5 team most of these years. And they're going to have – they're going to be playing at least one Power 5 team in the non-conference every year through – I think like 2050 at this point. Yeah, I can't wait um, for that 2058 matchup with you. Zach, take it for what yeah. it is. I do think that this Army football team is sneaky good and much more sneaky yeah. good than comparable to like the Hawks team from two, three years ago. I'm not sold. No, no, I, 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 I certainly think it is. We, we saw Wisconsin stumble against BYU a couple years ago. Um, so it, it's not a, there's no guarantees. You know, in terms of Big Ten, does Minnesota bounce back? Like, I think, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting them to win the West, uh, but can they bounce back by the time Wisconsin plays them at the end of the year? Where where are they both? Or will Wisconsin have rack up the West? Or is it going to be, you know, potentially a Big Ten West title game like it was two years ago? Um, I don't know. I, again, I, the home games are your toughest games, right? You get the road games are Rutgers, Illinois, Purdue, and Minnesota. And then obviously you have the neutral site game in Chicago that I think probably will have a healthy Notre Dame advantage. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't. I like a Army, Minnesota, maybe if we're looking for just an outlier there. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota would be the one for me because I think they do bounce back. I'm sure Ebo will ask you this next week, but I have to now. Where? How do you see the season shaking out? When we, when we go to sleep on, on the night of November 27th after Wisconsin plays Minnesota, where do the Badgers stand? This is funny you asked that question. I saw your tweet yesterday talking about how you and your uh, co-host on a podcast, it won't be mentioned. Oh, uh, come on. Have uh, sky-high expectations. And so then I'm like, all right, well. No, they're high. Okay. No, it said sky-high. Read the tweet. It said sky-high. <laughs> and, I, and I was just thinking about it. I'm like, all right, well, Ben must have them going 
eleven and one or twelve and zero, or you know they're going to run the table and go go to the college football playoff. And then I saw your for game thing, and it was ten ten and two. And I'm like, that's not sky high. That's realistic. I mean, their over under is what nine and a half. Yeah, so it's like I mean, it's not like it's you're not going out on a limb there, man. Um, I that that's what I and I'm prefacing all this by then saying I think they're going to go ten and two and say uh, and you know. I do think they lose Notre Dame, and I think they lose another game along the way. I don't know what game that's going to be, um, but I think I think that ends up happening. I think they beat Penn State, they beat Michigan, beat all these other teams, but I think there's there's one loss coming up that I'm can't necessarily see at this point. Okay, Zach. So you have been around practice more than anyone I know. How do you feel Graham Mertz will play this season, just based on what you've seen? I know it's been up and down according to some of the big J's, but where do you think Graham Mertz will play on a scale of 1 to 10 this year? I think he plays a 7, and I think Jack Cohn plays an 8, and people will be very, very upset about it. I, I for one, will be kind See, I, I was curious. That will make me happy. I was curious where you would come in on that, and I'm, I'm, I'll take a 7 from Graham Mertz on, on obviously 10 being his Illinois-type game. Because yeah. I think ten and two, like Illinois, like eleven. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think ten and two is very realistic with a Graham Mertz being a seven out of ten on that scale. Yeah. And if he's if he's an eight or a nine, I think they could win potentially twelve games and go twelve and zero. Zach, I meant sky. I, I I need to clarify that because yes, if you nitpick the words, uh, ten and two is not an overly out there prediction. However. When you get past that regular season schedule, that's where I see them actually outperforming what everybody thinks they'll do. Everyone thinks they're going to go lie down and get crushed by Ohio State. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to lie down, but when you don't have them beaten a team for 11 years, you don't necessarily uh, expect them to beat them. Now, now, I will say that they have played the last two times that they played in the Big Ten title game. Wisconsin was right there. They, had, they were 43 yards away in 2017. They were... You know, they had a double-digit lead in 2019, and they couldn't hold it. But that's just because Ohio State's a much more talented team than Wisconsin, and that really hasn't changed. Uh, you need to have, you need to have a difference maker, and you know, right now I can't point to a team, point to a guy in Wisconsin team that can be like a Jonathan Taylor because Jonathan Taylor was a huge difference in that game in 2019, like that first series that he just ran the they ran the ball right down his throat and broke that long one, had the one <clears throat> before halftime. Like you need that type of guy, I think, to have to have a chance when. Uh, an Ohio State offense is going to put up points, no matter how good your defense is. And I'm not necessarily sure right now, at this point right now, that Wisconsin has that type of guy. Yeah, and if Wisconsin doesn't have that type of running back that they can hand the ball off to, if if Jalen Berger's going to have that knee issue and maybe Chaz Malusi isn't as, as good as some people think he is, that's where it's going to come on Brent, uh, Graham Mertz, and he's going to have to do it with his arm if Wisconsin Badgers expect to hang into those games with Ohio State. But I'm with you. I think relatively looking over the last five years, outside of a couple of games, Wisconsin's been very competitive with uh, Ohio State. Yeah, if you throw out the, the championship game in uh, 2014 and uh, obviously the, the regular season game in 2019, they, they, they've given them uh, games most of the time. And they took them to overtime in 2012 and in 2016, I think it was. Um, you know, the 2013 game down there was, was, a tight, was a tight one at halftime. So, I mean, they, they had, they've had their opportunities to win. They just haven't been able to get it done. And, um, you know, we'll see. They, they haven't played them in, in Madison in it feels like quite some time. I think it was 2016 is the last time they played in Madison. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, ben, I, I, 10 and 2, 9 and 3, 
probably are both realistic. Um, I don't, yeah. I'm not. I'm not parsing words with man. You, you wrote it, so I. I, I, <laughs> I no, I understand. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, my regular season today. I see them going ten and two in the regular season, but I see. I I don't want to say I think they will go out and beat Ohio State, but I think they oh, have on, the biggest go chance. Go there. Go I I think there. they have the biggest chance to beat the Buckeyes of any Badger team in the last five six years. Because I think Ohio State just cannot possibly be the same team without Justin Fields. Like, like I think there's an inevitable step down, and the gap right now is not as big as it used to be. Justin Fields, yes. Um, we'll see what happens come December, right? Like, there's a long way to go to December, and by the time they play, if they play in December, whoever the quarterback is, whether Stroud or whoever else, is going to have 12 games under their belt. Yeah, and, uh, and they're going to be they're going to be pretty good because it's Ohio State, and they're always really good. Yeah, like, it doesn't, I mean, obviously Justin Fields is different, but Dwayne Haskins put up what fifty touchdowns. So it's not like it's not like they haven't just replayed you know fill guys in and fill guys in and fill guys in. That's that's what they do. That's why they're Ohio State. Yeah, that is true. I, I'm saving my actual prediction of who wins the Big Ten and where the Badgers end the season. I'm saving that for my podcast that you won't name on air. Yeah, we don't we don't name podcasts like that on there. <laughs> However, if you'd like to listen to an actual podcast, we can name on air the camp. New episodes uh, two times a week every uh, every week this season. Myself and Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You can go listen to that, and we will promote the heck out of that. But yeah, I don't know what Ben what podcast Ben's talking about. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> with sports director Zach Heilprin. Zach, before I let you go, I want to comment. One more time with the Graham Mertz in the Ohio State. We know that they have been close, and it has come down to, well, Jonathan Taylor gets stopped. What's the quarterback going to do? Do you think, kind of like what Ben just said, that if Graham Mertz plays well and we know that Ohio State is going to have a good quarterback, we just don't know how good, it's a question mark, do you think this is potentially the first time that Wisconsin could have the better quarterback in that matchup in a game that seems to be very tight at a lot of different positions. Yeah, haven't seen any of those three guys, right, for Ohio State. Um, Stroud's obviously going to be the starter, but who knows what happens. They got All three of them are five-star kids, aren't they? Uh, pretty sure they are. Um, and, I mean, their bad ones are, like, highly rated fours. Yeah, so they wanted Graham Mertz. Like, Graham Mertz, Ohio State wanted him in that room. They went after him hard. Um, and you know Wisconsin was able to hold on and keep him in. I think he's got the physical tools at the same level as you know, uh, probably both those guys. I don't know that true. The true freshman that came in early, uh, from Texas. Yeah, he's insane. Like I, I physically, he's just insane. Like that, his arm is just ridiculous. But I think Graham is as physically gifted as a quarterback as Wisconsin's had since Russell Wilson, and so he gives them you know their their best chance um, in this matchup probably of any quarterback they've had though Jack Combe I thought played you know pretty well in that championship game in 2019 yeah yeah I mean it's I think it's going to be as close as it's probably been right like Jack Cone uh and Justin Fields probably not a, a close matchup I think this one will be slightly closer in terms of quarterback play if assuming assuming Wisconsin gets there gets to the west and gets to Ohio State I, yeah I mean it'll be close again we don't know that's the thing about Grant Ritz. we just don't we don't know we've we've seen flashes and Zach, it's the longest it. three years of not knowing. I know it sucks, man. It's it sucks because last year was just so weird and um you know, we saw how good he could have he was against Illinois and it was Illinois and there were a lot of guys running open all over the place. Um but then COVID hit and twenty twenty did its work on injuries and all that stuff. So 
next Saturday is going to just be, I, I, I think, in my opinion, it's going to go one way or the other. He's either going to rip it up and everyone's going to get back on board or it's not going to go well. And um, I'm kind of under that like, same view. Yeah, otherwise it's going to be like, uh, all right, well, I guess this this didn't work out. But that's, uh, I think it's going to be, the, I, I lean towards the uh, the former um idea there i think he's i think he's gonna not rip it up but i think he's gonna have a really good game well zach thanks for joining us i'm gonna leave both you and ben with this you need you guys both need to quit being sissies they're going 11 and 1 this year and they're gonna play ohio state in a competitive big 10 championship game i'll make that prediction in early december but thanks for joining us zach all right guys and there he is our sports director zach heilprin on the wisconsin badgers football team a little bad blood between you and uh, Heilprin? Not at all. I, I I mean we have a we have a rival podcast that I'm not going to name and and a website. Not not at all. Not at all. I've, I he, feel like there's he some isn't bad a fan blood. of some of my tweets. I feel like there's some bad blood. Don't worry. I mean there's bad blood for, through everyone here. He, not he at was, all. He was gunning for me too. <laughs> no, no. He I, I, this is the I I don't word some of my tweets correctly. But eh, what are you going to do? Yeah, the jury's definitely still out on your tweeting. What do you mean? Who's the jury? Are you part of this? That's 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 one that you'll have to figure out. Oh, come on. What no, do you mean? I'm, ex- I'm excited for the Badger football season. Like I said, Zach is like me, but I would say even more pessimistic than me most times. And I'm looking at the schedule saying 12 and 0, 11 and 1, 10 and 2. If they lose 3 games, Graham Mertz would have had to have played horrible. That's cuz you're like a glass quarter full guy. Like, it's not even like glass half full, glass half empty. It's like glass 20% full. Like, when I see something and I, I feel very confident in something, then I can talk up to it. But if if I'm just like, if I'm playing like right down the middle, I I can't play down the middle. Well, that's no with this fun, Wisconsin too. Season. But I'm looking at the schedule and I can't play down the middle and be like, well, I think I could see them being like an under nine and a half. No, there is no middle. There is no middle for them because it's either Graham Mertz takes a step forward and the team succeeds because the schedule allows them the chance to do so. Or Graham Mertz continues to struggle and it's the same story. Oh, and that's the thing. That's why I haven't. I obviously watching that Illinois game, it was unreal with how good Graham Mertz was. I mean, pretty much every single ball he threw was exactly where it had to be in the perfect position. And they went out there and completely dominated Illinois offensively. Now looking at the rest of his season, he was still healthy supposedly in that Michigan game. Oh yes. And he played above average. He played above average, but he it wasn't the Illinois game, which it's going to be hard to get Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, J.J. Watts of the world tweeting about you every single uh, weekend. I get that. Now, the Michigan game, in my opinion, he still played well, especially for a kid making his second ever start, and he was out for two weeks after having COVID, and it was a weird COVID season. But then after Michigan, that's where it all started falling apart. You hear that he had a shoulder. His top two wide receivers were out. Like, I get it, but I'm still not 100% sold that we are going to get the Illinois-type performances every single week. But if we do, this is a team that could potentially play in a college football playoff. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I'm not sold on it either, but I also think the rest, the entire setting 
lends towards him succeeding. Last year, all lended towards him struggling just because of the adversity, the injuries, his injury, COVID. This year, I think it's going to be completely different just because of what's around him. And he's in a setting where he is set to succeed. Well, and I also know that we were both Jack Cohn guys. and I, know I am that, still a Jack Cohn guy. And I know that we still believe that Jack Cohn has a higher floor than Graham Mertz for what we've seen. Graham Mertz just has the higher ceiling. With Jack Cohn, I think you have to play a perfect game to get to the college football playoff if you're Wisconsin. I don't, I personally don't know if you had a shot at winning a college football playoff with Jack Cohn. I don't think so. But if Graham Mertz can be that Illinois good, you have that higher ceiling. You have that more of ability to win a Big Ten championship and an actual ability to compete at a national championship level. So we talked about the Brewers earlier in the show. We talked about how Brett Anderson, there was a lot more to be desired, especially from some of his comments. We haven't really talked about their upcoming matchup with the Minnesota twins and the twins are a baseball team that, well, we do have some twin fans that listen and I apologize for opening some wounds but they're a t- team that has fallen flat on their face. A, a team that at one time was projected to be a, well, a contender in the central. And at one point were favored to win the central. That is nowhere near what has happened to the Minnesota twins. They started out the season, taking two out of three from the Milwaukee Brewers. And actually the Brewers were lucky to win one of those games. Thanks to their bullpen blowing it and to some really bad errors. But outside of that, the Twins have not had a ton of success this season. The Brewers just get done taking two out of three from Cincinnati, the team that is leading in that second wild card spot. The Brewers just continue to march on. What are we thinking here for this series and I guess more so tonight's matchup? Well, bright side, if you are a Twins fan, this terrible season does mean you avoid getting absolutely smacked by the Yankees in the, in the ALDS. So at least it will not be the same old, same old of making it to the playoffs, somehow finding a way to play the Yankees and then getting crushed. Uh, for the Brewers, I see more of the same. I, I Especially now taking two or three from the Reds. Cruise control is on. Playing very safe with Willie Adamas' injury, as well as all of the injuries. Peralta is expected back this Maybe not the series, but this no, week, I believe correct? Next week, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're you're cautious with all of that because you have the division pretty much wrapped up. You just try to win series. You try to take two of three, and the Twins suck. So it it shouldn't be that challenging. Yeah. You look at the three game series. It's in Minnesota. First pitch tonight at seven ten. You can hear it on these airwaves. Ninety six seven FM, sixteen seventy AM. The Zone. W O Z N. You look at the matchup tonight, you have Eric Lauer. Obviously, Eric Lauer has thrown the ball really well since being inserted as, I guess you would say, the quote-unquote sixth man into that rotation. Uh, opposing him, Andrew Albers. He's a young kid from Minnesota. At this point, it's just um, open open auditions, I guess you would say, for this Minnesota team with these young pitchers on the pitching staff. Both are lefties. You look at uh, how, how both of these teams have done against left-handed pitchers. The Brewers OPS and, and hitting wise are in the middle of the pack. Minnesota, they're they're in the bottom, bottom third when it comes to hitting lefties. So I think you would have to say that the Milwaukee Brewers no doubtedly would be heavy favorites in Friday night. You look at Saturday's matchup, you have Adrian Hauser on the mound for the Brewers. You know, it's just his what third start back since COVID. They're still uh stretching him out. He's still a guy that right now 
isn't a guy that's going six innings. He's probably going to give him five, but we know that Brewers bullpen posing him as, as yet another younger kid, a Barnes. I mean, this is another game in which I can't imagine the Brewers would be anything but a heavy favorite. But then you have Sunday, yet another kid, a young kid for the Minnesota Twins in Jacks, and the Brewers, TBD. Any any idea what do you think the Brewers do? Maybe a Brent Suter spot start, Aaron Ashby getting a start? I would love either of those two options. I just I it's obviously not going to be Brett Anderson because he is quote and I am going to play this again. Not I, an athlete. I just kind of tweaked my like I don't even hamstring, hip, kind of groin area, kind of weird play. Um, just being a non-athlete. I feel so like, not him. I, well, it's definitely not going to be Brett Anderson. I wouldn't be surprised if they go. Uh, put him back on the IL just because they are being cautious with a lot of those injuries. But yes, Suter spot start and or Ashby. I, I think you got to give it to Ashby. The kids looked pretty good outside of his first start. Now he's had some weird starts with rain delays and then getting blown up for the seven in his very first, but he's looked pretty good since. He's got a live arm, and I just don't think the Brewers are going to want to get out of that six-man rotation. Right, I mean, and and they have so much flexibility right now that you're totally fine with either outcome. If they could, if they needed him, Corbin Burns could start on Sunday and do it on a normal, you yeah. know, standard five-man rotations day rest. I don't think they're going to want to overly push Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. Like I said, that three-game series with the Cincinnati Reds, that's a that's a 16 games and 16-day stretch that I don't think they're going to want to push, especially their young horses, any harder than they want they have to. We've already seen them starting to take the gas pedal off just a little bit, making sure that there's extra days of rest for Peralta, for Burns, and for Woodruff. And I think you give Ashby the start there, but I think this is one where, as Brewer fans, you just got to hope that they take two out of three, continue to churn out series, win series, and then when it's Sunday and you look up and see that you won the first two games of the series, get greedy and try and go for the sweep.